Welcome in. It is a hump day Wednesday edition of the Sports Huddle on SEMO ESPN Radio. 1220 AM, 93.5 FM, and online at SEMOESPN.com. Eric Sean and the Missouri Sports Hall of Famer Jess Bolin inviting you to join us here in the huddle. Our EBOMD huddle hotline is 573-334-1220. Huddle hotline powered by EBOMD, and you may want to hit us up on the Huddle Hotline. It'll be your last chance before we break for the holiday. Uh, we will not have uh, shows tomorrow and Friday, as I will be traveling with SEMO basketball. Jess Bolin in the house, but uh, you've got a home basketball game tomorrow morning. SEMO women play at 11 a.m. tomorrow. Yeah, morning basketball. I like that. You know, it doesn't really disrupt your day for anyone. I mean, you can come to that game still. After the game, you can go out for lunch if you want to. It'd be about 1 o'clock. So, only other game I remember playing in the morning is that uh, game for kids. You know, kids get out of school and come. I don't know what the exact name of it is, but. Classroom on the court game? Yeah, I like that. I, li- I like the morning basketball. Do you? Or are you night guy? No, I'm. I'm fine, man. Then you got the rest of your day. Yeah. And I know coaches prefer earlier start times oftentimes because uh, I've heard enough of them say, man, I, I hate sitting around all day, especially when you're on the road and you play a night game. You yeah. got to sit around in the hotel yeah. all day, you know, try to keep everybody loose and limber and all that good stuff. Uh, so, yeah, 11 a.m. tomorrow, SEMO women. Jess, uh, they were in good shape last night. Six minutes to play in the first half. They're up 18. And uh, I don't think I've ever seen a SEMO uh, team go as cold as the Red Hawks did. They had a stretch in the third quarter. They went five minutes without a field goal. And then they had a three-point lead going into the fourth quarter, and they did not have a field goal. 0 for 11 in the fourth quarter, and that allowed Eastern Kentucky to pass him at the wire and win the basketball game. I mean, nothing fell late for Did the Red Did they have two points in the fourth quarter? Two made free throws. That's yeah, it. two free throws, and that was it. I mean, that's I'm sure most people watching the game that was there, I know um, Jerry Ford is there about every game, and um, he made a comment on the way out. You know, uh, yeah, you don't see a team – break down that much and the defense was good give a little credit towards eastern kentucky but you got so so many shots you think somebody'd make a shot and i remember it's tied at 48 and that's where south with four minutes to go and i've made this statement it's a four minute game and whoever can score maybe 10 will win this game and Eastern Kentucky scored nine unanswered at that point. So, yeah, it's you don't see that very often. And um, as Coach Rica said uh, after the game, you know, they knew going into the game, Eastern Kentucky was an experienced team, and Southeast was young. They've got like six players from the transfer portal on their roster. Yeah, so they're a good team. It came in nine and three. And you knew going in, they'd be a good ball game if Southeast could stay with them. And at the, like you said, at the first in the first half, you think, well, eighteen point lead. If you just play 
average basketball from here, you know, should win the game. But they just couldn't. They just couldn't shoot. That's all there is to it. There's no way to sugarcoat it. They couldn't put the ball in the hoop. And Eastern Kentucky comes back. It wasn't like Eastern Kentucky just got hot and you couldn't stop them. No. They're throwing in threes. It wasn't nothing like that. It just gradually, Eastern Kentucky scored about a normal amount. I don't think Eastern Kentucky scored, but now I'm talking off the top of my head, but maybe 19 points in the fourth quarter or 18, somewhere in there. Well, they had 48, four minutes to go. I don't remember what they had at the end of three quarters, but it was one of those games where you kick it aside and said, we'll just we'll know what we did wrong. Let's correct some of this stuff and uh, move on because um, it happens to every team. Every team has a big lead somewhere along the season and, you know, loses a game. That's basketball. I'll I tell you what, since they put the three-point shot in, a 20-point lead is not insurmountable at all. See, a lot of teams come back from 18 or 20 down and wind up winning. And I like that, though. I like that the three-point shot's available and you can erase a lead or build a lead, you know, real quick. If you had a three-point shot, Eric, back in my day, Carl Ritter, there's no many not no way to tell how many points he would have wound up with because that's where he shot. That's where he scored his points, outside. And so I'm sure all he had to do, if he wasn't shooting threes, he could move back a foot or two because he was deadly. Man, he was deadly. How about Pete Maravich? Averaged 40 points a yeah. game for his three-year LSU career. They didn't have a three-point line for yeah. Pistol Pete. So Eastern Kentucky outscored SEMO in the fourth quarter 14-2. to two. No, so they they just had a normal quarter. I mean that way, and that wasn't even near normal for them. Usually they average around twenty, nineteen point five, I would say somewhere in there because they score seventy eight. So they had a below average. Semo held quarter. them twenty one points below their scoring average. Yeah. But in the second half, and you heard Coach Rika Patterson say after the ball game, you know we didn't, I didn't have a problem with our shot selection, but in the second half, SEMO was 3 for 30, 10%. I mean, it, it just you know, would not yeah, the, fall. They got shots off like you normally see. It wasn't like they were being handcuffed or mobbed or anything like that. How many times did you see under the basket someone would... Shoot it too sh- hard. Off the backboard yeah. and miss the rim. Yeah. yeah. It, and, and you say uh, a young team... I'll tell you, this, I've had this happen to me in 1994, especially, 95, excuse me. I had a whole bunch of people that retired off the caps. and But Central had a 94 state championship team, and Notre Dame, I think, was champion in 93. So, well, I'll dip in there. There's got to be some good ball players on those teams and take a bunch of kids that are you know, very talented, and uh, Tom was in that class in '94 for Central, and Leroy McCauley and Tally Haynes, and you know, a whole bunch of guys that could play the game. I think uh, David Michaels was in that group. You know, wound up being a really good starter at Simo, 
And Tally Hayes was a good pitcher. He pitched a championship game, I think, in 94 for Central. Wound up going all the way to AAA and really did well in AAA. You and I couldn't understand why they didn't bring him up. You remember that? They had great earn run average and everything. But anyway, it was a very young team, and they didn't know how to react to pressure in a game. I'm not saying that happened to SEMO, but you get kids that are young and a team starts coming back and that team's got a reputation or a record that's really good, I think sometimes you get caught up in the moment and you don't uh, react well, especially when you fall behind from a big lead. I saw a little of that. I thought that, you know, the moment was pretty big for some of these young girls. And maybe I'm wrong, possibly, could be. But that would clear up a lot just by, you know, experience. You take later in the season, for instance, those same girls that couldn't score, couldn't hit a bucket, might be performing well down the stretch in a game. One of those scenarios where uh, you played good enough defense, you forced 23 turnovers in the game. You got to the free throw line 28 times. They should have won it. They, yeah, they did a lot of things well, but I mean, nothing would fall. Literally nothing. 0 for 11 in the fourth quarter. So, quick turnaround. And, you know, that was the first Division One team SEMO has played at home this year. I mean, they've been on the road. That's the first of a four-game homestand. Evansville from the Missouri Valley Conference is coming in. SEMO has been playing almost all Missouri Valley teams. Yeah. SIU on the road. On the interview. Missouri State, Indiana State. Now you've got Evansville. They played Missouri State. I mean, you know, they've they've really stocked their schedule heavy with the Valley. I think it's good competition, though, and it's good for your when you open up your OVC play. You can look at it any way you want to. That whoa, wait a minute! They beat some of the games they've been beaten by. The confidence level will go down. I don't really think so. You take like last night's game. Those girls know that they could beat Eastern Kentucky. All they had to do is just play normal basketball in the second half. Nothing special, and they would have won that game. So they know they can, you know, you build an 18-point lead, you know that you can play with that team. And it's hard to say you get confidence out of a loss, especially if an 18-point lead and you wind up losing by nine. That's a 27-point turnaround for Eastern Kentucky. But the shots they were taking, like we said, it's not one girl that took several shots and that one girl just couldn't hit, so it kind of bogs you down. Everybody on the team that was on the floor seemed like had pretty decent shots. You know, so just nobody was putting it in. But they'll learn from that experience, and sometimes you learn a lot more from a loss than you do from a win. So 11 a.m. tomorrow against the Evansville Purple Aces, and then the Red Hawks will break for the holiday. And their next game will be a doubleheader at home against Southern Indiana. And that'll be the start of conference play on the 29th. Red Hawk men will leave today and travel to Bloomington, Illinois, Bloomington Normal, and they will play Illinois State tomorrow at 7 o'clock. That is a really good defensive team, Illinois State. They, they're they not putting up big offensive numbers. They really don't shoot the three well. They got a couple of guys 
that are pretty decent three-point shooters. Uh, but this is an opportunity for the SEMO men uh, to pick up a non-conference victory before they get into conference play. Yeah, so you got a couple games tomorrow. What time do they start, did you say? Men are at 7. 7 o'clock, so you can, you can watch a, or come to a morning game with the Red Hawks here and uh, watch the game tomorrow night of the men. I guess it's on ESPN Plus, isn't it? Yes. So, is the women's game in the morning on ESPN Plus also? Yes. So, about every game they play, I guess it's on ESPN Plus. Well, for SEMO, every home game. Okay. It's every single one, men and women, ESPN Plus. All conference games are on ESPN Plus. And well, that's really great. Yep. It really is. Some of the people that got their kids five, six hundred, seven hundred miles away from home playing for Southeast or any other school and be able to see them play. I would think that everybody on CMO's team has got ESPN plus. What do you think? The, the home. I would say absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's a good deal. It's what? Seven ninety nine a month or something. Yeah, like that. Something like that. And the amount of content that they have. It's so much other stuff on ESPN Plus, too. Yeah. Man, you can go in and study or watch some of the greats from the past and interviews. All and, the 30 for 30s yeah, that ESPN has made. There's a lot there. You can really, if you're a sports-minded person, then you can uh, fill in some time you need to get, you know, waste and watch ESPN Plus and be satisfied. Well, if you're a St. Louis Blues fan, you certainly weren't satisfied <laughs> with what happened in uh, Tampa oh, last night. I watched night. that game last night after I got home. And uh, uh, you know how I am. When, when a baseball game gets to be 8 to nothing, 10 to nothing, I lose interest a lot. Blues are down three nothing in the first period. Yeah, and that's a that's a almost insurmountable lead in hockey. And so when they got goal four, I was drifting away. And they got goal five, five nothing. I said that's it for me. Uh, you know they're not going to come back, and they're playing lousy. And uh, it, Blues give up too many passes in their own zone don't know how to get out of their own zone on defense. And you just can't do that. Then they, I don't know, they got got some talent on that team, but they're not really. They won two in a row, I know, for this game last night. But they were home games also. And I think they play tomorrow, don't they, against the Lightning? Or is that uh, the Lightning they played last night? Yeah, they're at the Florida Panthers. Panthers, yeah, Florida. So we'll see if they get any, you know, any experience from the game last night. And last night better. was the thirty-first game played for Justin Falk. He scored his first goal. Well, he's a defenseman, so you don't. He they don't usually score over three or four or five in a season. Uh, now, Pareko, I think he's probably scored about four. Or, well, he's four or five goals that, so far. He's got the game winner of the night in overtime. And uh, I think he's got a 
Perico, I think, could play on the power play. Uh, I think he could actually play a, a winger on offense. And But he's, his best game is on defense, and they understand that, so that's where he's at. But you remember the power play has been done with the Blues with guys that are defensemen and top of the circle can really fire the puck. And I think he could do that. But maybe they've tried it. Maybe it didn't work. But he's got a hard shot. Big guy, 6'6". He can shoot the puck over 100 miles an hour. So I would think he would be good. Because the shots he's making, Eric, except the one the other night, are out there close to the blue line. I mean, he's throwing that puck 100 miles an hour into that crowd, and it's going through you know, four or five goals. I don't know. He might have five. but He's got five. Yeah. But that's good for a defenseman this time of year. If he winds up with ten goals for the year, that's pretty good. So, Jordan Bennington last night pulled – Jake Hofer did give up one goal, but it was 6 nothing before the Blues scored. So they got that little bounce that you get with a coaching change. Now you've got to dig in, and we're going to see what the Blues are made of. And, you know, the new coach is going to make any drastic changes. I'm sure he's going to do some tinkering because he's still learning the personnel. I mean, let's face it. And he's learning his coaching staff. Well, a lot of guys that's on the Blues played for him coming up system. I don't know if Peoria is where he was coaching. Springfield. But there's a lot of guys on that team that, you know, that very familiar with him. Your Kai Roos and Sammy Blay and some of the younger guys are familiar with him real well and, um, so I don't think the transition playing for him is going to be major. I just don't, you know, question whether the Blues got the talent. It seems like they do. I mean, they got experience on the defense with Letty and some of the guys back there, Pareko, but and they got good offensive people like Buchnevich and Cairo, Cairo, Cairo. I just don't know. There's not consistent enough. You got one good game and they look great, and all at once, you know. And we also got Chen on the Braden Chen, a good offensive player. But they, if they make the playoffs, they will barely make it. The way I look at it, and Bennington's their only chance to do anything in the playoffs, and he's hot and cold this year. He's going to have to play much more consistent hockey if the Blues do anything to play off, if they make it. So I, I think if the, the Blues make it, it'd be, they'll make it by a couple points, three points over somebody, or they won't make it and fail by three or four. They'll be right at the edge one way or the other. So we heard from... Uh, head coach Craig Berube a lot 
Uh, here is the new coach, Drew Bannister, and he does touch on Pavel Bushnevich getting benched after taking three penalties in the hockey game. And uh, was he sending a message, Drew Bannister? Before start, we uh, we weren't able to, to, to get to any kind of forecheck, uh, so we were defending. Um, I think we had uh, 10, 10 turnovers, 10, 13 turnovers in, in the D zone, um, 10 turnovers in the offensive zone. Um, when you're doing that, you're going to have to play a lot of D, you know, and, um, you know, uh, Biggest thing that stuck out to me is, is, is it was too easy to get pucks started at. Like we, we 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 just we weren't we weren't willing to get in the shooting lanes. We didn't get our sticks in the shooting lanes, uh, you know. And and we saw the result. You know, the, two of the goals were, you know, goal most goal most scrambles. We had a little bit of, of a bad bounce on the first one with the bounce off the wall. You know, the second one we turn we lose a wall battle, turn it over, ends up in our back of our net. Uh, Third one, we turn the puck over under a minute left in the offensive zone, comes back, and it ends up in the back of our net. Now you're chasing chasing the hockey game against a really good team. Is that just a, a willingness or mentality to, to get in shooting lanes and in block shots? And- <laughs> I mean, it's got to be an everyday thing at, the, at this level. You, I mean, we, 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 we've done it for two games. I saw spurts of it a little bit today, especially in the third period. But by the third period, it was too late. It's got to be an everyday thing from everybody. I know you talked in last week about changing habits and, and breaking some of the old habits. Did you see some of those back to tonight? Uh, I, I, I mean, you know, the... It, the turnovers, you know, uh, some of it was pressure, but we have to have we have to have support. We have to do better on the walls. Like we have to be stronger in those areas. I didn't I didn't foresee us cheating, but you know, we, like I said, we we were, you know, we we just got to do a better job when we're we're defending. You know, there there was a couple times just you know in the second period returning to D zone, like the the one goal shouldn't even happen if we just get to our spots quicker. Um, you know, and then we get we get into penalty trouble a little bit. So, um, you know. But to me, um, you know, the turnovers on both ends forced us to defend. Um, and when we had to defend, we weren't we weren't brave enough to get in shots, shooting lanes. Didn't see Bucinavich in the game. Was that just the penalties? Yeah, I mean, he took three penalties. Like Bucci's, Bucci's a, a good player for us, and uh, he's no good to me in the penalty box. Like he, he's he's got to be out on the ice. He's got to be effective that way. And you know, I think for him, it's it's not only a message to him, but it's a message to the whole team. Like. You know, uh, we need guys to play on the ice. They're, they're no good to us in the penalty box, and um, you know. So, so moving forward, that's that's the standard. Like, guys want to guys want to play. They have to earn their ice time. Yeah, the first. Thought it was interesting that he used the phrase "we weren't willing to get our sticks into the passing lanes," brave enough to get sticks into the passing lane. He kind and, of brought up what I was talking about a while ago about the turnovers in their defensive end. It doesn't take a scientist to figure out that if you're watching the game, the deficiencies in certain areas and the blues were really bad about it's almost, you know, in hockey, you talk about motivation in sports and you talk about, you know, are you into the game and this and that. Hockey, you can't afford it. And I agree totally with him when he said it's got to be an everyday thing. Hockey is a really a game of battle, just a battle from the time the game starts. You know, you've seen hockey. Game where they crash into the the glass and fight and scratch and claw behind the goal. And I know it's tough to do that game in and game out. And when you don't do it, like he was talking about, you look bad. You really look bad. 
It's just like a good defensive baseball team. You go out there, expect that. You expect that shortstop make those good plays and everything. What if you go out there and they make three errors, first three innings? You know, it's not them. It, they can't play like that. And so that's what he's talking about with the hockey team, and he's right on. He's spot on, I think. And I I don't know whether Butchnevich is it, gets in the doghouse over getting penalties, but he certainly did get the message, I guarantee you, if he didn't play when he came out of the penalty box, you know. And um, I wasn't really paying that much attention to his ice time. But that's a, that's a problem that he pretty well made known. Got his third he, penalty, and that was it for him. Yeah. And I can't say I blame him. I agree with him 100%. You can't do us any good sitting in a penalty box. Blues scored one time last night when they were down 6 nothing, And what do you know? Power play. He's a one-timer. Comes in front. Neighbors to Falk. Shoots. And he scores! Falk, a power play goal. And the Blues are on the board. They say they didn't get shut out, Jess. <laughs> well, but a power play goal. That's a small award. You know, shutouts. Shut, what's, what's the difference? Shutouts, you got stomped 6-1 to one or 6 to nothing. But 30, 31 games. Power play goal number nine. <laughs> yeah, that's they're feeble in the power play. Eight shorthanded goals, nine power plays. So they have finally passed the shorthanded go to- goal total with the power play. Well, the shorthanded goal number is great. Usually you won't get over four or five of those in a year. And the Blues, two games, got two shorthanded goals in each each game. So that's un, unbelievable. You get two shorthanded game, uh, shots, goals in a game, and they've done it twice. So that's good. Their power play is good. But it also shows you something on the power play, or shorthanded, that the Blues, I'd like to know how many goals they've given up when the other team's on the power play. Because it shows me if you've got that many shorthanded goals, the people out front, you've got four people on defense, somebody's cheating a little bit maybe. You know, like a basketball, a snowballer, snowman. Somebody's 20, 30 feet ahead of everybody else heading down the court. Snowbird. Ant- anticipation of a a ball that he's they're going to get. So I don't know. Blues got some problems, but they're hanging around 500. I don't know the game above 500 right now, or even 500 teams somewhere in there. You got to play better than that to make the playoffs. So, in the same week that Craig Verube got fired, former Blues coach Davis Payne got the axe in Ottawa. They did not get the bump. That the Blues got. Ottawa has lost five in a row. So switching switching coaches did not help the Ottawa Senators. Or at least it hasn't yet. Well, if you're a bad team, it probably won't. But if you're a team that's kind of in the middle of the pack and you're losing games because of effort or you know lack of interest in what you're trying to do out there, I think a change of coaches can help. Because you got the talent to do it, they're just not doing it. But you got a bad team, you can't make them a good team. Nobody can walk in and make them a good team. Florida 
is in third place in the Atlantic Division of the Eastern Conference, 38 points. They're 5-4-1 in their last 10. They lost their last game, and they get the Blues at home tomorrow, the Florida Panthers. Uh, with Drew Bannister, let me ask you this. Would you kick the tires on Joel Quenville? I know there was controversy why he had to step away from Florida. Would you kick the tires on Joel Quenville? There wasn't any domestic problems with him, was there? No, there was. He apparently he covered up or had knowledge that uh, one of the staff members might have been sexually harassing one of the players when he was in Chicago, and it surfaced, and um, he ended up being forced to step down because of knowledge of what was going on and he didn't because they deemed that he knew what was going on and did not didn't report it yeah well uh, you know you got if he's cleared to i don't know that you know he's been banished from the nhl kind of like trevor bauer who was banished and then it was proven that uh the woman made up her claims. Stupidly enough, video anyway. Uh, but would you even consider? Well, yeah, I would, because um, he's a great coach in hockey. And Bannister may, you know, get the team into the playoffs. I don't know, but well, he's interim coach. That's why they tagged him when they brought him up to coach this team right now. Sure, if he has success the rest of the season, they get in the playoffs, maybe make a spark or two there, beat a team. Yeah, he'd probably get the job. And if he doesn't, if he sails along like this, sure, I would consider Quinville next year for sure. He's a a very good coach. He knows the game. He's taken Stanley Cup championships. And I don't know what his age is now, but. He's still, I'd say he's in his 60s, maybe. I don't know if he has been cleared by the NHL. Rusty Hendricks sent a text. He does not believe Quinville has been cleared by the National Hockey League. I don't know. When when he was forced to step away, I believe Florida had the best record in hockey. So you don't know if Quenville would be even be an option. So how about the the booing of Jordan Cairo at Enterprise Center, and it brought him to tears in the locker room, got emotional, feelings hurt about getting booed, and then he came out the the next game and had a terrific game in their win over the Stars, uh, but word got around when he was asked, "What do you think about?" You know, the team parting ways with Craig Berube. And he said, I don't know. He's not my coach anymore. Mm. Yeah. Fans are not doing that. And considering the money you make and what is perceived to be a lackluster effort on a night-in, night-out basis, and clearly Cairo and Berube uh, had their beefs, but booed on home ice, your highest-paid player. 37 goals last year, and then he came out and responded. I wonder how much of a wake-up call that 
is going to be for Kyra? Well, it should be a good one. And he did get a goal and two assists. He was number one star in his right. next game. What, what does that tell you? Well, no. Can he do it when he wants to? <laughs> for he come out and he, you know, he got booed and he didn't like that. So he comes out and has a great game. So the people sitting in the grandstands watching a game are not there for their health. They're there because they want to be entertained and they want to see some, you know, some people out there perform. Well, when your stars don't perform. And you go there, it feels like you wasted your money. You don't get anything for your money. And guys out there making millions and millions of dollars, maybe you took a couple of your kids and your wife to the game and it cost you $200. Time you count eats and maybe little novelties, you may spend $300. And that may be the, the whole check for some families, you know, after taxes. And you waste it. Watching somebody that makes millions go out there, yeah, I, I I don't like booze, but I think sometimes it's justified. And Kairu, I'm not so sure about him because I I think it's right. I think Barube was having a problem with him, and a coach can always tell the effort if the effort's there and you're struggling and it's really you're fighting it. You can tell. You can tell when the guy is really giving you the best he can. Fans can tell too. Sure, that's what I'm say, saying. They're, they're not. They're not there for their health. They're there because they know the game. They love the game. How many times have I said the people sitting on the hillside at Capitol? They know baseball. They're very intelligent about the game. You, you know, you can talk to any fans when we're doing games. They know exactly what's going on. And so. I don't know. He might, might as well get over it. Maybe you need to look at that guy in the mirror, and it might tell you a story. But I think a lot of guys do that. I think when they get that multi-year contract, know they're going to make $8 million a year or whatever, I can easily see how they can say, well, I don't want to get hurt now for something for life injury, so I'm going to not crash the boards with this guy or whatever, you know, you can see that. In the National Basketball Association, supremely talented but supremely knuckleheaded Ja Morant returned after his 25-game suspension last night. The Grizzlies went 9-16 and while he was out. How did Ja Morant do? In his return, you'll be interested if you have not heard. And what did Morant say after the game when the TV cameras were off? Sports Huddle coming right back. SEMO ESPN. It's the Sports Huddle. SEMO ESPN. 1220 AM, 93.5 FM. And, of course, online at SEMO ESPN.com, our final sports huddle before Christmas. Jess, you got your uh, Christmas shopping done yet? Uh, yeah, okay. really, I do. Uh, a couple of things are ordered, and I'm hoping it gets here for the kids, grandkids. But if it doesn't, it'll be Christmas again. I was going to say, order, I ordered some stuff. It was a while ago, and already... Got the Christmas gifts out, and I got a, a text today that one uh, is going to be delivered today by FedEx. So it, you never, I mean, you, you're trying to figure out, okay, 
Uh, if I order it on this date, then you get an email that yeah. says, well, it's been delayed. And, okay. But anyway, I've, I've got most of it done. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. But I got a little gift last night from your wife on the beans and cornbread, beans and ham. Um, I think most people say ham and beans, don't they? But anyway, I took that home last night after I don't, game. I don't eat it, so I know I don't you know. don't. Your your society, yeah. you can't eat nothing like common like beans and ham. But anyway, I took that home last night and put about half of that container she brought it in. I guess they call that Tupperware, and put it in the microwave for three minutes, and took it out. It was really hot, and that cornbread was perfect. She makes the cornbread just like my wife did, Mary. And a little bit sweet, you know, kind of got a taste like a little bit like a Cracker Barrel. And I ate that last night and really liked it. So I've got enough uh, left to have another bowl today. So thank you, Dawn. And uh, you know your last name, so I'm not going to say Dawn, Sean. She's doing some baking right now as she's listening to the show and uh, in the kitchen baking. Well, if if I have a... a judge of cooking ability, I would say she's excellent in baking because these uh, ham and beans, you know, you got to know what you're doing when you make stuff like that. I never did eat in my life ham and beans like hers because she puts a lot of ham in it. Most people just put a little bit of ham in it for flavor. And she put a lot of little chopped up ham in it. Boy, it just made it delicious. So... Thanks again. It kind of surprised me having a little present there before Christmas, you know, last night. But um, she is an extraordinary cook. Yeah, let me assure assure you. I would imagine she is because that you couldn't do this job of ham and beans any better than she did, and the cornbread. You're not going to find any cornbread better than that. So John Morant returned for the Memphis Grizzlies last night and uh, premier matchup against Zion Williamson and the Pelicans. Back and forth game, uh, you, you, I guess the thing you'd worry about with Morant, you just wonder what's his, what's his cardio, what's his stamina, going to be. Well, it was a good game. It was tied at one thirteen, and with about eight seconds left in the basketball game, Jess, the Grizzlies have the ball. Do you think the Pelicans expected Morant to take the last shot? Well, I don't know. I mean, he's a superstar, so I'm sure they were aware that he might. Here's the final possession. Morant with the ball in his hands, tied at 113, eight seconds left. Morant's going to get ahead of Steve with a chance to win it in his return. Here goes Morant. He spins. Morant scores! And the timer expires! Count the basket! And John Morant wins it for the Grizzlies. And they kind of left Jones out on an island by himself there against a guy that I don't know that there's anybody in this league that can guard this young man one-on-one. He went for 13 in the third. Finished with 34 points in the basketball game. Not only 34 points, eight assists, six rebounds, in the game, a couple of steals. Uh, he gave a interview immediately after the game to TNT, said all the right things, 
suspended for waving a, suspended for? 25 games. They went 6 Antics and 19. Floor, or what? Uh, waving a gun while drunk oh. on video, and it went on social media. He'd done it multiple times. So he has been in uh, whatever the counseling routine was, said all the right things in the post-game interview, Jess, and then someone had a camera phone down in the tunnel as Morant was running into the tunnel and into the locker room, and he was screaming, I'm keeping receipts, I'm keeping receipts, I'm keeping receipts. That is modern code for I am paying attention and remembering everything everyone said about me. Threats. So he said everything right in the post-game interview and then shouting, I'm keeping receipts as he's headed to the locker room. Why would you, making the money that he's making and got the kind of life he's got, and got the talent he's got. Nobody knows. Why would you go that route? I, it's hard to understand why a young man with that kind of talent starts waving a gun, talking like that, and, and threatening th- people. Uh, it's just amazing to me that you can't see in front of you the life you have. You, and, can, uh, you can take the young man out of Murray, Kentucky, but you can't take the Murray, Kentucky out of the I kid, I kid. Well, well, you and I certainly don't question his ability or doubt how good he is. Nothing, nobody does. But, you, you know, again, wake up and realize where you're at in life. You know, just things like that gun, for instance, get rid of it, you know, because it's not going to do you good, any good. So, it's an interesting weekend in the NFL because we have one game tomorrow. You got your normal Thursday night game. It's Saints at Rams, and both of these teams are seven and seven. This is this is this has big ramifications. <laughs> it has big <laughs> meanings uh, for you could both of these teams. Ramifications. Okay. The Rams are at home. They're a four-point favorite. And the Rams are a live team to make the playoffs. Remember, I believe they started three and six. They Sean, might be a lot Sean of teams. Sean McVay can coach his butt off, man. Yeah, there might be a lot of teams that wouldn't want to play them. You know, the Rams with a cup and I would be, some of the. I would be surprised if the Saints can go to SoFi and beat the Rams. No, the Rams I, are just no, playing I, I good football. I don't think they can. I think the Rams will win that game by a touchdown or more. So that is the game tomorrow night. That's on Amazon Prime, uh, 7.15 at SoFi. And then we have two games on Saturday, the 23rd, Festivus, and my wedding anniversary, Saturday. Bengals at Steelers. Bengals are 8-6, and six, Steelers 7-7. Seven and seven. That's got ramifications. And then it is Bills Chargers. And now that game is on Peacock at 7 o'clock Saturday. So, obviously, the Chargers are out. They fired their coach. Their quarterback's out. Don't the Broncos play on Saturday night or not? No. So, those are the... The Broncos then play Christmas Eve, don't they? Sunday. The Broncos. 
Christmas. I thought my daughter said we they watch, play Christmas Eve. Watch the Broncos Christmas Eve, yeah. And it's a night game for the Broncos as they host the three and eleven New England Patriots. A night game at this time of year in Denver. <laughs> it could be a little chilly. So on Christmas Eve, we've got wall to wall football. <coughs> Colts Falcons, Seahawks Titans. Neither one of those games uh, get anybody excited. Lions-Vikings, big game for the Vikings in terms of seeding, big game for the Lions. That's a noon game on Christmas Eve. Commanders-Jets, no one cares except Mike Greenberg. Uh, Noon on Fox, Packers-Panthers, garbage. Browns at Texans. And it doesn't look like C.J. Stroud is going to be in there again, still in concussion protocol for the Texans. Big game for the Browns. They are 9-5, and five, so that's a noon game. The afternoon on Christmas Eve, you've got Jaguars in Tampa. That's got the potential to be a good game. Jaguars are fading. Buccaneers are surging. Cardinals, Bears, who cares? But the big game, Cowboys at Dolphins, 325 Fox New or Christmas Eve. Yeah, that's the that's game. the game. One of the games I've been looking forward to because Dallas is uh, three and four on the road, seven and zero at home, so they might have trouble with Miami. I don't know if Tariq Hill is going to be available. Yeah, I don't know about that. If he is, that's going to add more woes for Dallas. But Dallas is a team that also could go right in there and win the game. You know, they, they've won three road games. And, uh, boy, the last game, though, wouldn't lead you to believe that they could do that the way they played their last road game and just got whipped by Buffalo. And they didn't even look like they was on, on the floor, on the field with Buffalo that night, did they? I mean, Buffalo looked like a twice as good a team as Dallas. But not very many teams. Hey, with eight minutes to go, it was thirty-one to three. I mean, they put a window dressing, garbage time touchdown on the board. You so, know, they they're capable of doing it, but Dallas has just been that way for a few years. You you see one Dallas team, and then you see the other, and it's hard to get on board with how good they really are because they fail miserably. It's like the. Big game against San Francisco earlier in the year. No, it was a beatdown. So they've got some bad losses on their record. So professional sports on Christmas Day, for years it's been owned by the NBA. They That's a big showcase day for the National Basketball Association, and they put together good matchups, and we've got good matchups on Christmas Day. You've got Giannis and the Bucks at Madison Square Garden against the Knicks. You got Warriors, Nuggets, the NBA champs. You've got Celtics, Lakers, 76ers, Heat, and Mavericks, Suns. Those are good matchups. So normally, the NBA owns Christmas Day. But this year, the NFL has jumped into the fray. Three games on Christmas Day, just like on Thanksgiving. You've got noon, 3.30, and 7.15. Uh... Chiefs host the Raiders at noon, Christmas Day. So a little Christmas present for Chiefs fans. Then it's Giants at Eagles, and the Eagles are trying to snap a three-game losing streak on paper. Uh, Doesn't look like much of a game. Phillies 
favored by 12. And then 7-15 Christmas night. Ravens, the number one seed in the AFC, at the 49ers, the number one seed in the NFC. 7-15 Christmas night. That's a must-see game for me. Um, I like San Francisco in that game. But knowing full well, Ravens' defense is really, really good. But I really like McCaffrey and some of the things they do. And Purdy, I guess he's the real deal, wouldn't you have to say by now? I think he's pretty good. And <laughs> I uh, Niners favored by five and a half. Ooh, that might be a little stretch. Uh, I, I don't 49ers know I, have been beating teams down. Man. I know, but they also had a stretch where they weren't beating teams. So I, I would say. Debo Samuel was out. Trent Williams was out. They lost three in a row, couldn't score. Everybody healthy, they're rolling. Oh, I think they're the best team in the NFC, but... I think they're the best team in the NFL. Well, they might be. But I think that's a a big... They are one twisted knee or sprained ankle away, or a couple of sprained ankles away. I mean, injuries can happen at any time. If they stay healthy, they're going to be the favorite. Yeah, and if... The Vegas betting favorite. Their favorites in this game coming up, but five and a half for me is a pretty good spread. I don't, I don't know. I think it'd be closer than that. I think it'd be a three-point game. Myself with San Francisco, they're playing at home, aren't they? So that that's about what you get as a advantage consideration would be a field goal. I think that's kind of the way they look at it. That's kind of the way I'm looking at it, too, that it'd be three or four gay, a point win. But five and a half means that you gotta you got to have six to beat that spread. I don't know if that's going to happen. So what's the knock on the Cowboys and the Dolphins? One of the knocks on both of those teams is they blow out the bad teams and they can't beat the good teams, although Dallas did beat Philly in Dallas. But if you look at the teams that the Dallas Cowboys have beaten this year, uh, you tell me yes or no if you don't think uh, the teams that they beat add up to garbage. New York Giants, New York Jets, New England Patriots who are 3-11. There's three teams there anybody could beat. The Los Angeles Chargers who fired their head coach. Garbage. They beat the Rams. That's That's a good win. Another win over the Giants, Carolina Panthers, Washington Commanders. Seattle's a solid win. They beat Philadelphia, blown out in Buffalo, but it's not like Dallas has gone through a gauntlet and rolled by good teams, and neither have the Miami Dolphins. So one of the knocks on both of these teams is uh, the teams that are average to below average or bad teams, no problem. They play a good team, big problem. Yeah, don't they have another game with the Giants, Dallas? Uh, no, they played the Giants twice. It, Philly's got two games with the oh, Giants. Okay, yeah, yeah, Philly's got the easy schedule. They've got they've got two games with the Giants and one against the yeah, Commanders. You, uh, I, I count as you went to five games there that if you got any kind of team at all, you win those five. You should, yeah, yeah. So that's five victories that you can kind of discount as uh, on Dallas's record. But that's what we talk about all the time about Dallas inconsistency. And 
you don't know which team's going to show up. Now at home, you pretty well know that you're going to be getting the all-out effort, a lot of points, and it's going to be hard to go into Dallas and win. But on the road, they're very average. If both teams win out, okay, they've done the tiebreakers. It goes to like the fifth tiebreaker. I heard it totally explained. Eagles have the final tiebreaker over the Cowboys if they finish tied. And so Dallas would have to do all of its playoff participation away from Dallas. Yeah, that won't happen. They won't get through it on the road. Uh, They may not beat the, the Dolphins. No, they might not. Uh, Dolphins, you know, they have a reputation of being able to put some points on the board, too. So you got two 10-4 teams, and I'll be interested to see if Tyreek Hill plays because uh, they're a totally different team when he's out Oh, there. no doubt. No doubt. Kansas City is, too. <laughs> they had him in the lineup. I would say Kansas City would have at least two more victories if Tyreek Hill would have been with his team. Chiefs, Raiders, Christmas Day, 12 noon, Arrowhead. I'll be interested too. I'll be watching that. Obviously, one, watching that one. Uh, the also, um, this is our last time before Christmas, uh, and it also happens to fall on a particular day of the week. And of course, when we get to Wednesday, that means new material from uh, your side of the aisle. And it also means this. Uh-oh. Guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Huh? Anybody? Julie, hey, guess what day it is. Oh, come on. I know you can hear me. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Leslie, guess what today is. It's hump day. Woo-hoo! All right. Hump day means Wednesday. Wisdom, uh, take us to the uh, Christmas holiday. Jess, I want to say hello to the radiant and ravishing Don Sean, who is working in the kitchen and cooking up some goodies today. Well, I want to thank the... What did you say? The... Radiant and ravishing. Radiant and ravishing Don Sean. I'll thank her, too, because of the thoughtfulness of bringing me something to eat this is hump day and wednesday wisdom uh last day we're gonna have a show this week until christmas and uh want to wish everybody a very merry christmas and uh hope everything goes well and everybody gets what they want for christmas say hi to my girls too in texas columbia and my boys so I want to leave you with this little wisdom. The chocolate chip cookie was invented in 1933. So those poor people before that didn't have any. And mosquitoes, in case you don't know it, have teeth. I always thought they did too, the way they drill you. I, I thought mosquitoes would be an unbelievable way to transfer illness. Like, the you know, the some of the viruses that we get if mosquitoes carried it and it transformed to humans there'd be no stopping it you know because you'd never be safe outside so west west nile virus yeah and also i want to read you this one this is good one and maybe the, uh, pertain to your life a little bit the mind will not always remember exactly what happened 
but the heart will always remember the feeling. That was written by Bridget Nichols. Thank you, Bridget. Merry Christmas. Now, you know what? This is the year that most people are kind, but practice it after Christmas. You know, it's um, people are still hurting. You might make somebody feel better if you smile and talk to them. So give it a shot and see what you think. Hope everybody has a very, very Merry Christmas. We'll reconvene after the holidays. Jess, Merry Christmas. You too, bud. Stay tuned. Greeny is coming up.